Hello and welcome to Improving Scottish Football. My name is Kieran, and today on the podcast, I'm joined by Barry Anderson, who is a sports journalist and currently writes for the Edinburgh Evening News. So today we are going to be talking about Scottish clubs trying to qualify for European group stage football. We're actually going to be parking Celtic and Rangers to the side and we're going to be focusing on the third, fourth, fifth place teams because historically we have not had a great track record. Every year, probably like most of you listening, I sit there wondering how a Scottish team has been knocked out by a part-time Welsh, Irish or Maltese side. And I've got to the stage where I don't even wonder, I've just come to expect it. Barry and I are going to be looking at the current state of affairs. And just for clarity's sake, we are recording this after the first legs of Hibs Villa, Hearts Pauk and Aberdeen versus Hackett. We're also going to be looking at what might be the root causes of, of why we've not been great in the past. And we're going to look at what we could potentially change in order to try and get our teams qualifying more regularly. Please do like, share and subscribe if you haven't done so already. Please do help and spread the word. Thanks also to those of you who have left a review. If you haven't done so already, please feel free to give this five stars. Let's keep growing the audience. Let's improve Scottish football. Okay, right. Hello, everyone. I am delighted to be joined today by Barry Anderson. Barry, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Kieran. How are you? I'm also very good. Yeah, I'm doing well. So um, to kick us off, can you give us a bit of an introduction to yourself and obviously your connection to Scottish football, please? Uh, Yeah, I've been covering Scottish football uh, in a a media capacity for 23 years now. for different publications, I currently write for the Edinburgh Evening News and uh, cover Hearts on a on a day to day basis. So um, that's my main that's my main beat. That's my main daily task. And uh, there's always there's plenty always plenty going on at Hearts. So it's um, it's quite a, it's quite a, a good way to earn a living, to be honest. Yeah, and presumably you were uh, at Tynecastle uh, last night as we're recording it. Uh, to see the first leg of uh, the game against Pauk. How was that? How are their chances? Yeah, they're up against it now. I think everyone can see that. Obviously, losing the home leg 2-1, it makes life difficult no matter who you're up against. My hearts of the, the kind of... The, the added uh, problem of going to Greece to a pretty hostile environment. And, you know, Pauk Salonika Stadium is pretty notorious around Europe for being one of the, the really hot and intimidating places. So in general, that you know, they've they've got a lot to do in this tie. Um, they're not out of it, you know, two one down, it's not over. But it's tough to say that it would be an, an enormous result and one of the biggest results in Hearts history if they could overturn this next week. Yeah. I was at the Rosenberg game um a week ago and that was brilliant. That was actually my first ever time at Tynecastle and for the record, I was absolutely blown away. Like I thought the atmosphere was brilliant. Uh, my ears were ringing the next morning. And what, one of the things I loved, actually, I was in the main stand. Nobody sat down for the entire game, which I loved. 
I mean, it hurts the calves after after two hours of standing, but I mean, it just adds to the atmosphere. Yeah, I mean, if that was your first time, then you picked an absolutely ideal game to go to. Um, and I can understand why you would feel the way that you do about it, you know, on, on a night like that, when everything sort of goes heart's way apart from the first few minutes when they can see the goal and then you come back and the, you know, the noise and the, the sort of passion, the, the crowd driving the team on and then a late winner and stoppage time. It was everything that you could want on a, if you're free your first visit to Tincastle. I'm actually, uh, my brother-in-law uh, and my sister are over at the moment from Australia. So he managed to get a ticket. He's more into AFL than soccer, if you want to call it that. Um, but he wanted to go to Tincastle and just see what it was like. So that was his first game. Uh, first game, first experience of Scottish football, and, and he was raving about it. Um, again, just because of the 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 atmosphere, the way the game panned out, and Hearts getting the late winning winning goal to to go through. Um, everything sort of everything just came together at once, and, and he loved it. You know, he was found them in a bar in Gorgie Road after the game with Hearts fans just having a beer, and uh, one of those one of those nights that he, he said he'll never forget. So yeah, I think everybody that was at that game seem to love it yeah this is the kind of level that we're trying to hopefully get our clubs to because historically the clubs that have finished in those third third fourth fifth place places in the league haven't always been able to get to european group stages i say haven't always uh, <laughs> they very rarely get to the group stages um hopefully now though with hearts i mean obviously hearts have got an uphill battle hibs are out of it now after that first leg but aberdeen are uh looking fairly promising after the first leg this at least is the level we want to get to where we've got three other teams getting at least a realistic chance of getting to group stage football yeah definitely um in that sense i mean the Europa Conference League has a lot of detractors, as you'll be well aware, but for Scottish football, it's actually been a really good thing. Uh, when you look at Hearts being involved there last year and making, I think the income they got was £5 million pounds and three million, more than £3 million of which they managed to keep as profit. Aberdeen are now in that situation where they're in the Europa League playoff, and if that doesn't work out, then they have the parachute into the Conference League groups. So, the there's there's not a negative to this for Scottish football in my view. I think in general it's just one of those tournaments that's come along just at the right time, very much like the Nations League came along just at the right time for the national side, and they've, they've benefited from that. Um, so I, I I can't I can't sing the praises of the Conference League enough if I'm being honest with you. I know there's a few teams in there that are you know sort of lesser lesser ranked teams if you like, but why shouldn't lesser ranked teams have an opportunity to compete in Europe, you know, against against teams of a similar level. I mean, um, I think that I definitely think that, that UEFA have done the right thing here by bringing in a third tournament. Um, it's easy to sneer at, you know, but if you're one of the bigger clubs that play in the Champions League every year and you just think, ah, oh, Conference League, who cares about that type of thing? But you know, Scottish football fans are enjoying it. Aberdeen fans will enjoy it this year, just as Hearts fans enjoyed it last year. And anyone else who gets an opportunity in there in the future will certainly enjoy it. So, yeah, it's only positive as far as I can see. Yeah, big time. Yeah, such a great opportunity for our clubs, especially those outside the old firm to actually, obviously, not only enjoy, you know, trips to Europe, 
but the money is a huge aspect because as you say you know if it's something in the five million pound ballpark you know for, for getting to the group stages of europa or conference league that is a huge way that our other clubs can try and close the gap on celtic and rangers definitely um like everything else in football success most of the time comes down to money and we all know there's a massive gap between Celtic and Rangers and the rest of the clubs financially. So <clears throat> whatever opportunity you have to close that gap and try and try and bridge the gap and make things a little more even uh, in terms of a playing field, then then we have to take it. So let's also touch on uh, Hibs and Aberdeen then. Obviously, and I appreciate you cover Hearts and you were obviously at the Hearts games, but what are your kind of initial thoughts on how those teams have obviously got on in Europe, but also their kind of, you know, starts to the season. I thought Hibs did extremely well to get past Luzerne in the, in the previous qualifying round of the, of the Conference League. Um, I thought that was a terrific result for them. A 5-3 aggregate was, was superb. Um, but I think when they knew straight away when the draw was made, then they knew that they were up against Aston Villa if they if they got their you know the writing's kind of on the wall. And it's not just doesn't matter whether it was Hibs or Hearts or Aberdeen or whoever. There's no way any Scottish clubs getting past Aston Villa, and I would probably include Celtic and Rangers in that right now, because Celtic and Aston Villa would easily take a couple of goals off Celtic and Rangers, you know, at Parkhead or Ibrox, if uh, if they wanted to. That's just the situation that we're in, unfortunately, and. You know, the scoreline at Easter Road the other night didn't really surprise me. Um, I said before the game, a couple of people were talking to me about it and I thought, I said, this has got the, the kind of makings of the Hearts-Spurs match uh, from a few years back, I think 20, 2011, I think it was, uh, which which also finished 5-0. Um, so I wasn't overly surprised that that was the final scoreline. And it's just, one again, such a financial gap between two teams. Um it's a shame that Hibs are on the receiving end of that because, again, if you get any prospect of getting another club into conversely group stage, then all the better for Scottish football, you know. And Aberdeen, um, I think if you look at that Aberdeen scoreline away from home, 2-2 two, two at Hacking, it's, it's okay, it's fine. You know, you make them favourites certainly to go through now. It depends how how you assess it because if Aberdeen do go through and into the Europa League groups which is a better achievement than Conference League let's not let's not dispute that but that then makes it harder for them when they're in there because they're up against teams of a, a considerably higher caliber than they would be if they were in the Conference League groups so it's kind of the chicken and the egg situation you know what do, what do you prefer do you prefer drop in the Conference League groups and just get a feel for European groups for the first time since 2008 or do you just go, no, let's go in the Europa League and try and make an extra, whatever it is, I think it's a couple of million pounds of difference in income, yeah, a couple of million pounds more. So I'm not really sure that, I suppose, probably one Aberdeen fan to the next would have different views on that, on, on what they would prefer. But either way, terrific that they'll be in the groups one way or another. Yeah. I think pretty much every Scottish club in Europe, and again, I include Celtic Rangers in this, will almost certainly get humbling at some point from uh from some elite team uh, unfortunately that you know the gap you know if you go back 20 years in scottish football you wouldn't expect celtic or rangers to be thrashed you know 7-1 by liverpool or 7-0 yeah. by barcelona or anything like that 
But unfortunately, we have just fallen so far behind the top five leagues and even some other leagues that pretty much every club is is going to get a thrashing. That is the reality of it now. Um, obviously, part of this podcast is designed to try and work out how we stop that. Um, but in terms of the Europa and and the conference, one of the other good things about the Europa League is, of course, if you finish third, you can drop into the conference league. So if Aberdeen do manage to get Europa, they, there's a potential kind of lifeline there as well to even have, have Europe after Christmas, which would be phenomenal. It would. Um, and also probably worth mentioning just on that point, that third place only gives you that opportunity if, if one of the top two win the Scotch Cup because the third place, uh, the, the, the Europa League playoff place, sorry, is awarded to the Scottish Cup winners. Um, so, you know, potentially, you, you, if, if something, you know, you could get a surprise where you've got a Ross County or, or a Wraith Rovers getting through and, and winning the Cup, then they would be in that position, you know, which would be incredible. Yeah, we nearly, uh, well, we nearly had Inverness, didn't we, in a way? That's right, yeah. And that's a great romance of the whole thing, but, um, you know, realistically, I think long-term, for this to benefit Scottish football, you know, over the next five to ten years, you want the likes of Aberdeen, Hibs and Hearts in these group stages as much as possible. Even if it is only Conference League, just get in there, get used to that level, <clears throat> the level of opposition that you face, the schedule that you face. It's pretty punishing trying to play Thursday night away from home in Europe, maybe in, you know, Turkey or somewhere like that, and then come straight back after the game, you know, try and recover Friday, bit of training Saturday, and then you've got a league game on the Sunday and you have to do that, you know, six times uh, for, for all the group matches. So the Thursday, Sunday, is, it takes a lot of getting used to. There's a financial side of it. How do you manage the finances, organising the trips for the people behind the scenes at each club? So there's a lot to it. Uh, there's a lot for everyone at the clubs, not just the players and the coaches, but everyone in the clubs to get used to. And you want that to to play out over a number of years in order to get them used to that level and, and also to hopefully then raise the, the standard of their squads and playing staff and their finances to get them up closer to Celtic and Rangers. They won't, they'll never get to the same level as Celtic and Rangers, but if you can get a bit closer, then it makes the whole thing worthwhile. Yeah, this is it. We need to get more of our teams qualifying regularly for Europe. And I think like most Scottish fans, you know, every year I look at the qualifiers um, pretty religiously and I'm just sitting there just thinking, come on, guys, you can do this, you can do this. And then time and time again, you end up seeing our teams so often get knocked out by clubs that they shouldn't be getting knocked out by, you know, whether it's, yeah. you know, Burkakara or Sligo Rovers or, um, you know, Koneski Nomads, stuff like this. It's like, oh no, what are you doing, guys? <laughs> Please. But if we can get over that hurdle of, I mean, at the very least, we should be beating the teams that we should be beating, right? It, it's one thing getting pumped 5 0 by Aston Villa. I mean, you know, that is, it is what it is. I think the very least we, we, we need to expect is for our clubs to be beating the poorer opposition that's put, put in front of them, the part time clubs. Um, so at least I think, obviously apart from Hibbs's first leg in Andorra, 
we seem to be getting slightly more respectable results. Yeah, um, this season I would say so, yeah. Um, I would say overall there's sometimes still a little bit of an arrogance among Scottish teams, Scottish players. At times, I'm not suggesting all the time, but at times when they come up against a lesser name, you know, from Ireland, from Wales, whatever, uh, from one of the smaller nations in mainland Europe, then it's like, well, well, we're from the Scottish League and we'll take care of them sort of thing. And I, I do wonder where that comes from because it's not like there haven't been enough warnings over recent seasons and even go back 10 or 15 years, you know, there's been plenty of European humblings that they have kind of, you know, sent a shiver down the spine with different teams. And I definitely think there has to be a, at times a bit more respect and also a little bit more of a, a recognition that Scottish football standing in Europe just isn't what it was in the 1970s and 80s and even 90s. And, you know, we have to prepare better against these teams. And I think, I think some of that is, is the reason behind it. So what's the magic sauce then? How do we, how do we get our teams to qualify more regularly for Europe? Well, I think the, the, as I said earlier, the Conference League coming in a couple of years ago is definitely beneficial because it gives it another avenue and, and that parachute down from the Europa League playoffs into the Conference League groups. So we do have to make more of that. But in a general sense, I think um, finances are, are the be all and end all. If, we, if, if, if there was a fairer distribution of prize money for a start in Scottish football, rather than it all being gobbled up by the teams that finish first and second in the league. So if, if prize, prize money was distributed fairer, then the clubs below that would have a far better chance. Now, we all know why the, the finances are distributed the way they are, because it suits the big two, and that, you know, that's why they vote for it that way. There's, you could be here all day discussing that, but um, I think someone has to try and overhaul that one way or another. Um, I would also like to see us get a better TV deal um, and, and market our game better in that sense. I think um, I think our game's been undervalued and, and undersold for quite a while. Uh, I'm not suggesting that it's at the same level of the English Premier League in terms of audience pool or the German Bundesliga or Spanish League or anything like that. But I do think that we're worth more than, you know, the the money that's coming in. Mm. Um, and it's not Sky's fault because you can you can sit and point the finger at Sky all you want. Sky are running a business. Why are they going to pay more money than they have to, to to cover Scottish football? It's up to the people who are running Scottish football to be to eyeball these companies more, stand their ground more, be more demanding, and you know stick up for Scottish football and. and use the fact that we have a, a decent product, a very authentic product to sell to different teams, uh, to different countries, sorry, and make sure that that's one of the selling points because the, you know, it's easy to look at the Premier League in England and some of the quality down there is terrific and I watch the games myself and it's, you can't argue that you, you do get 
good entertainment down there, but there's, there's plenty of entertainment in Scottish football as well, and people overlook that too much. Um, and there's some terrific quirks in this country, some terrific grounds to go to, some great atmospheres. Um, and I don't think that some people do market Scottish football well, but I don't think overall people in charge market it as well as, as they could. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. Uh, I did an episode specifically on the TV deal with um, um, Alex Marr uh, a few episodes back. And yeah, he goes into quite a lot of detail on how Neil Doncaster uh, approached the kind of renegotiation, you know, the uh, renegotiation with Sky. And, and one of the things that really jumped out is the fact that they just chose a terrible time to do it where, mm -hmm. you know, BT are going through turmoil and there's just no kind of competition and everyone just seems to be quite happy with the safe option that is Sky. And he also says that, you know, a lot of the clubs are also really happy with Sky. And this is one of the big problems, I think, is that so many of, um, there's, there just seems to be so many people in power who are just quite happy with the status quo. And if it's not broken, let's not fix it. Whereas actually there's so many of us probably from more of a fan perspective who are just, um, who feel that our game deserves more than what, than what we're getting. And so I don't, there just seems to be a bit of a disconnect really. Yeah, I, I sense that as well, Kieran. I think you're right that they, you know, Sky have been on the scene for a long time, and I definitely think they have a place in Scottish football. And I think that they, they let's be honest, they do showcase the Scottish game, um, because they have the rights to do that. But I think that there could be certainly other broadcasters on board. When you look at the fact that Sky aren't taking their quota. Every season, you know, the quota of live games every season, they're not actually fulfilling. They're showing as many games as they're allowed to. Then I think we, we have to do something about that. There has to be a second, um, a second tier broadcasting deal, if you like, for whatever it is, whether it's the BBC, um, whether it's STV, uh, TNT Sports, as they know, they're now called, uh, formerly BT Sports, whoever it is, I don't, don't have a massive preference but there definitely has to be a little bit more coming in and, and can't that it's definitely more that can be done in terms of getting scottish football out there and getting uh, more broadcasters involved mm. yeah um just to kind of swing back to the um you know the scottish clubs qualifying for europe uh, a pet hate of mine which i'd like to kind of get out there that and this has been used for years is the we're only at the start of our season stuff and i don't know if this gets any on anyone else's nerves as well but i just i can't stand that sort of excuse i i feel like we're the only country who uses it and it's just a kind of get out clause um to you know to throw out there as a reason for us not qualifying does that how do you feel about that as an excuse yeah, I think the I do think it's used as an excuse 
when teams maybe suffer a bad result or go out of Europe early. And it's this the old you know, kind of old adage, oh well, that's what we'll, we'll offer up as an excuse. I think it's relevant to an extent when you come up against a team that's in the middle of a season, Scandinavian team, for example. So they're up to speed and they're, you know, they've got more, they've got momentum, they're fitter, they're sharper, better rhythm than than the Scottish teams do, who are literally just starting their season. <clears throat> but well, Hearts proved only last week that you can overcome that if you're prepared properly, your players are fit. And let's be honest here, if you're going into Europe and starting playing games in early August or even mid-August, Scottish players by then have been back doing pre-season training for almost two months because they're back, you know, around the 17th, 18th, 20th of June now, in most cases, because they've got Europe to prepare for or the League Cup group section starting. Uh, if you're, for those that are not in Europe, so I don't. It's just a convenient excuse, you know. Our players can and should be as fit as any other players in the in Europe. There's no reason why they they can't be. Um, the training facilities that we have at, at the major clubs, anyway, are as as good as you'll find. Um, some of the you know the provisions for the players, the you know the diets, the nutrition, the sports science that we now have is is again top of the tree. So I don't think that I don't think that's really an excuse that we can still be using it in twenty twenty three. I know some people will and do, but yeah, it's just it doesn't wash with me. I don't think it washes with you either. Yeah, no, it, it's one of those things like. <sighs> I'm just, yeah, I, I guess I've probably just, you know, after so many years of, of watching our clubs, you know, not qualify and that excuse constantly getting carted out or something along those lines, it just wears a bit thin. And um, I look, you know, a couple of years ago when Celtic got put out 5-1 on aggregate to Bodo Glimt. Well, guess what? Bodo Glimt hadn't started their season they were in pre-season and Celtic, because it was in February, were in the middle of theirs. So, mm -hmm. you know, it, I think it's just something that only we are um, are using. And again, I think we're we're using it as a as, as a get out clause and not taking responsibility for other factors that may be contributing to limited success. Um, you know the. One of the main things that that um, I think could could be a could be resulting in in this kind of mixed European success is um, the tactical side of the game and the technical side of the game. So I did an interview with uh, John Walker in episode one, who does the Scots Abroad podcast, and he speaks to a lot of players who all you know who have played in Scotland and are now playing playing abroad or at least have experience of playing abroad. And he says that almost every Scottish player that he talks to says that the tactical side of the game is much more emphasized abroad, even in the likes yeah. of Poland, in Norway, even in you know not major countries, there is lots of emphasis put on tactics and technique that is still missing from our Scottish game. So. 
I'm wondering whether that sort of side of our game is 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 a big reason why we're not regularly qualifying for Europe. Yeah, um, I think it is definitely a factor because if you go to continental Europe or South America and you watch any, you know, pick any team, an average team training, and you see that the emphasis on ball control and ball retention and South Americans are actually a lot of South Americans that play in Europe. You, you see this, you know, they play in Greece or they play in Switzerland or wherever. And if you give the, if you, you give the ball away, uh, needlessly, I mean, they're, they're on it, on to you in a flash, you know, like verbally really coming down hard on you simply because you've given the ball away because ball retention, keeping the ball is just what their game is about. Um, you know, you get that with the Spaniards and the Italians and so many others. And we, you don't really hear that in Scottish football because you have a lot of things about transitions and phases of play and percentages and second balls. And I understand there's a, there is a place for that and there's a need for that at times in, in football, particularly in British football. Um, but I do think we could emphasise the more technical side more often and we would therefore become a bit better. Um, I also think the Scottish League, again, suffers because there's too much of a gap between Celtic and Rangers and the rest. You, you get any any league in Europe has its main, you know, its, its main clubs that challenge for the title. You know, go to the Netherlands, you've got Ajax, Feyenoord, PSV, AZ Alkmaar at times. You know, and they're generally the main ones. And But the, the gap between those and the rest of the league, it's not it's just not as big as it is in Scotland. So again, if you close that gap financially, then the, the, the clubs below Celtic and Rangers can bring in slightly better players, maybe better coaches with more tactical nows, and you can close the gap a little bit that way. Um, I don't think the training methods are too different in terms of, you know, a, a coach in, um, a coach in Italy, for example, can put on a training session just the same as a coach in Scotland can. It's about what you're emphasising to the players. Are you emphasising, right, we need to get direct balls forward quickly and feed the centre forward and get some, you know, a, a little nippy guy in round about him to, to, to pick up the loose balls? Or are you, feed, are you teaching, you know, we want to build the ball out from the back, but we want to do it at a tempo, so we want to feed the centre half and then it goes straight into midfield and we play forward through the lines. Is your midfield rotating well enough? Have you got them on a carousel so that they're moving the other op the other midfielders and the opposition team around to create space? All of those things are, should be fairly standard, I think. Yeah. Um, it's, it's difficult to do a bit of a catch-all here, but, you know, I, I guess one of my concerns about Scottish football is you know, when it does come to selecting coaches, sometimes our clubs do just go for the safe option. And there's another, there's another phrase that kind of uh, gets my goat a little bit, which is when people want certain managers or coaches because they know the club or they know the city. And I'm always thinking, surely you just want the best coach that you can possibly get because it's not difficult to learn 
the ways of a club or the ways of a city, um, you know, are our clubs really looking in the best places for, you know, for innovative coaches, you know, who are actually going to try and play progressive football? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm slightly, I can see both sides of the fence here on this one. Uh, because you're right, we do need a little bit, we need different ideas in this country and we need to bring them in, you know, from outside at times, and I'm all for that. But as well, I can understand from a club's point of view, when you're changing manager, if you're generally changing manager because your results haven't been good enough and you need a change because you're slipping down the league. So you don't want to slip any further down the league. If you bring in a somebody who doesn't know Scottish football, and again, there's so many idiosyncrasies about Scottish football, that if you don't understand them, you'll get caught out and you'll get found out. And there's many, many examples of that over the years at so many different clubs. Um, so you need somebody who understands what it's like to go away up to Ross County on a Tuesday night in February when it's minus two and how to get a result there. And it's not pretty. And again, that goes back to what I'm saying earlier. How do you emphasize more of a tactical, technical side? Well, you can't when you're in Dingwall on a Tuesday night in February because you just can't play football up there at that um, at that time of year. The pitch is probably poor. Not that this is not a go at Ross, Ross County. Yeah, poor, by the way. This poor Ross County. Anyway, um, this is happening anyway. You can wait in Johnston or you're at Kilmarnock. You're on a plastic pitch at the moment. So um, <clears throat> it's about it's about knowing the environment, and I can understand why some clubs feel at, when they're appointing a new manager that they want somebody who knows the environment. And that that's also, as much as Celtic, Celtic deserve enormous credit for bringing in Ange Postacoglu a couple of years back. And and the way he got their team playing was, was terrific. And I don't think anybody, any neutral anyway, could say they didn't enjoy watching that Celtic team play and some of the football they played. But I can also fully understand why they went for Brendan Rodgers um, to replace him when he left because Again, just somebody who knew the landscape, the club, the league, the grounds, um, and everything that goes with it. So I think you have to take it on a case-by-case -case basis. At the end of the day, if you're appointing a manager from out with Scotland, then it isn't, there is an element of a risk about it, more so than if you're appointing someone who's already been involved in the league and done okay. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It has to be done on an individual basis. Um the um i think you know fans of any club just want to know that their board is doing is doing due diligence and at least going out and speaking to you know the best candidates that are available yeah and certainly i would be frustrated if you know if, if a club uh, you know if i supported a club and they literally just went to literally the you know the, the person who's you know right in front of their nose without speaking to anyone else yeah um which can unfortunately still still happen quite a bit of the time um but there, you know there's lots of really innovative thinking out there you know around europe and, and around the world obviously you know postacoglu being a, a great example as you cite um cool right well we're coming to the end of this uh podcast barry um before i let you go uh, i'm gonna ask you uh the question i ask every guest which is uh, if you had a magic wand and you could change one thing about Scottish football, what would it be? Uh, can I have twelve magic ones so I can change to... <laughs> Yes, you can. Uh, have, yeah, you can have. You can have more than one if you want. No, it's, um, I'll, I'll keep it simple. I think probably the the thing that I would go for first 
and I might be slightly different to, to other people who would answer this question. The thing I would probably look to change first would be the size of the leagues. I definitely feel that we need bigger leagues in this country um, and, and probably fewer divisions if that, you know, to incorporate the same number of teams. Uh, I'm, I'm not overly fussed on whether to go, whether we'd go to a 16-team Premiership or an 18-team. I think there are merits in both. Um, but I think at least a 16-team top flight is necessary. And uh, <clears throat> maybe like a 16-team second tier and then a 10-team below that, something... Something along those lines. I'm not massive, massively fussy. Um, just tying in with that in terms of the marketing side of the game, something that bugs me, and I appreciate this really won't irritate anyone, a lot of other people in, in any way whatsoever, but the way we name our divisions really annoys me because um, the, you've got the Premiership, right, which was a name first conjured down in England so we know at the moment in Scotland we have Premiership Championships the second tier League 1 is the third tier and League 2 is the fourth tier right so you know if there's one way to confuse people that is it so years ago we had before we brought this Premiership um, phrase in which we didn't need we had the SPL Scottish Premier League which f flowed off the tongue beautifully easy to market recognised across Europe as, to, as what it was, the Scottish Premier League. So let's get that back and have the, have the Scottish Premier League again. And below that, if, you, if you're having three tiers below that, that's fine. Let's call them Division 2, Division 3 and Division 4. So the Premier League is the top flight. Division 2 is the second tier. Division 3 is the third tier. And Division 4 is the fourth tier. And everybody knows what they're doing. And again, it's easy to market as well because you can have SPL as the top flight. You can have... SD2 as the second tier, SD3 and SD4 below it. You know, I don't think it's too difficult to to bring all that into sync. Um, so that's one of the things I would change along with it, as I said, the size of the leagues. Uh, I love that. That is a superb bugbear. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, I completely agree. And I wonder if it's just this like thing of let's just try and copy whatever England's doing. As yeah, that that's... It doesn't matter whether it was England or you know France or Argentina or whatever. If you're copying another country, you know unless there's a real good reason for doing so and it makes a lot of sense, then why do you why are you doing it? Hmm. Good. All right. Um, well, listen, Barry, I'm going to let you go, but that was uh, superb. Thank you for coming on and for giving us giving us all your thoughts. No, thanks for having me. Um, I enjoyed it. it was, Good chat and good to get some things off the chest as well. Well, this is it. This is it. This is it's. This is basically just a, a whole therapy session. This podcast is a therapy session for all Scottish football fans to just list out all the things that they uh, that annoy them. So um, no, that was good. Um, so listen, thanks again for coming on, and thank you to everyone who is listening. <laughs>